Hey, Bridgeway, how are we doing? Isn't, isn't you takeover like amazing, isn't it? Having teenagers all over campus serving and whatnot, it's amazing. I know for me, like, like Pastor Matt was saying earlier, uh, it's just nice to see them outside of the basement. <laughs> Coming up here, serving, and getting to know what it looks like what church really looks like and what you guys get to do as soon as you let them go down in the basement on a weekly basis. Well, if we haven't met, my name is Cliff Woodward, and I am the high school pastor here. And just like what Alicia and Tony were talking about in the video, if you are interested in serving either in our high school ministry or a middle school ministry, I would love to talk to you. Pastor Matt would love to talk to you because it is an amazing experience serving with students. Um, you can ask any one of our volunteers. They just love it. And every time they say it's worth their time getting to pour into these students' lives and show them what it looks like to really love God and to pursue Him no matter what. So if you're interested, if you're stirring, you're thinking about, hey, I, I want to serve. I just don't know what capacity. Come talk to us. We'll, we have a table out in the lobby and we would love to talk to you. Cool. Well, you guys ready to dive into the Word today? Good. All right, open up your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 1. We are in our called, part 4 of our Called by God series. And let me tell you, I am really excited for what the Lord has uh, this morning. And as you were flipping there, I, I, I want to talk about one specific word for us to stir on a little bit. And that word is distraction. In our world today, in our society today, we have so many distractions trying to vie for our attention. I think of it this way. You're sitting down on a Saturday afternoon. You're watching television and a commercial comes on. And this commercial is telling you to buy the new and the best refrigerator. And you're like, oh, okay, I might want to buy this refrigerator. At that same time, your child... Your son or your daughter sitting next to you on the couch, tapping you on the shoulder. Mom, dad, I need some more food. I'm hungry. At the same time, your dog is at your feet barking because they want to be let outside. All the while, your husband or your wife is in some other part of the house trying to get your attention. And you have your laptop on your lap trying to do some work. And you think to yourself, oh man, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing right now. I can't comprehend the fact I, there's so many things going on, so many things trying to get my attention. What am I supposed to do? And I think in, in our world today, every time we walk step outside our doors, we're distracted by so many things. But what we're going to be talking about today is this idea that God knows how to best navigate our obstacle course. Every time. He knows exactly where we should be going and what line we should go, be going down. When I was younger, I always used to go to the playground, just like any kid would love to do. And I remember any time that I would get hurt or any time I wanted to show my parents a new trick that I could do on the monkey bars, I would always yell, Mom, Dad, and they would come running. But here's what's interesting. As a parent, you're sitting on the park bench as your child is, is on the playground. And as soon as you hear your child yell, mom or dad, what do you do? You drop down the book that you're reading 
You stop whatever you're doing and you walk and you run straight towards your child. Why? Because that's what you're supposed to do. That's what you're called to do. Is to be there for your child no matter what. And nothing is going to distract you from going to your child. And I guarantee you that if there was 20 kids at that playground and there were 20 moms sitting on that around on that park bench and every single one of those kids yelled mom at the same time those mothers knew exactly would know exactly whose child that that is one mom would be like oh my child's the one who who's not yelling mom very loud the other one is saying oh yeah my, the really loud one is my child the other one's saying yeah my child's the one who can't pronounce mom right <laughs> You know who your child is. Why? Because you spend time with them. Because you love them. Because you know their heart. And you know when, when they're in need. And again, nothing is going to distract you from being there for your son, for your daughter, when they need you. If you take out the sheet that was handed to you at the front door, the fill in the blank is this. God's plans keep you in line. God's plans keep you in line. We can be very distracted in our world today for so many different reasons. But God's plans will, will always keep us on the line that we should be on. doesn't matter what we're thinking about, what we're doing. God's plans will keep us there, will, will keep us steady when we feel like we're, we're not steady. So let's pick it up in 1 Timothy. Before we read the verse, I, w- I want to remind us what we've been talking about in this, in this book. First, we were reminded by Pastor Parnell that when God calls us, He also enables us. And then we learned that healthy living requires healthy habits. And then Pastor Lance reminded us last week that if, if Paul could be saved, then anybody could be saved. And I love that idea as I was sitting here last week because sometimes I feel like I can't be saved. But if Paul, a man who was a murderer, a man who was a thief, a man who ran away from the faith can be saved, then we can be saved. I love that. And Paul's writing this letter to encourage Timothy in Ephesus because it was a tough place. But let's pick it up in verse 18 of 1 Timothy 1. It says this, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you. Let's stop right there. This charge I entrust to you. This charge. You see, Paul and Timothy's relationship shifts here. Paul is Timothy's mentor. He's his spiritual father. But here, when he uses the word charge, he's actually acting like it's a military commandment. In fact, it's an urgent command handed down from the superior officer. So not only is Paul saying, Timothy, I trust you. He's saying, I charge, I command you to remember. I command you because you are part of the army. And when I was thinking about this and my prep, this idea that we are in God's army and and we are being charged and we are being entrusted to a task. I thought back to when 
I was in elementary school, a little kid. We used to, we used to sing this song called, I am in the Lord's Army. How many of you heard of that song before? Cool. A lot more than I expected, which makes this next part a little more awkward for me. <laughs> Here's what I'm going to do. So, so that we're all on the same page, I'm going to sing this song. I'm going to do the hand motions. And I encourage you, if you know the song, if you know the hand motions, please do it along with me so that I'm not the only one. All right, you ready? Okay. Here we go. I may never march in the infantry, ride in the cavalry, shoot the artillery. I may never fly or the enemy, but I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, sir. Great job. Thank you. Thank you for participating with me. You see, Pastor Parnell is not the only pastor that sings. Yes, I know he, he may be a little taller than me and maybe more attractive, but that's okay. He's not the only one that sings. I got that with him. But we, every single person in here, we are in the Lord's army. We are. We are fighting with him. We are fighting alongside him. And Paul is reminding Timothy, remember, you're fighting Remember your, your prophecy that was handed to you because you have a duty to complete it. Because in reality, Paul understood this concept of duty. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul's telling the, the church in Corinth, I can't help but preach the gospel. It's part of who I am. It's what I was called to do. And so woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. Because that's what the Lord has commanded me to do. That's what the Lord has charged me to do. Paul says that every servant of the Lord is duty bound to carry out his ministry. So if we call ourselves servants of Christ, if we call ourselves followers of Christ, then we are duty bound to carry out his ministry. But my question is, what is this prophecy that Paul speaks about here in verse 19. Well, in my research, I found out that the prophecy that Paul's talking about is actually something that happened to Timothy 12 years prior. So Paul is asking Timothy to recall something that happened 12 years ago. And I don't know about you, but I can't remember what happened last week, let alone 12 years ago. 12 years ago is a very long time. But Paul's reminding Timothy, hey, you remember what happened 12 years ago when you were called into the ministry? And what's interesting about Timothy's calling is that it wasn't only Paul who was involved. There were pastors and there were prophets in the area telling Timothy, go to Ephesus. Go into the ministry. Be the pastor. We know it's going to be hard, Timothy. We know it's going to be tough. But we trust you. We charge you because we know that you're going to do a great job. And Paul's reminding Timothy of that because he understands it's important for us to recall our commission. You see, Timothy was bound to his commission. And he had the confidence of Paul, the endorsement of the church, and the confirmation of the Holy Spirit. 
so he could step out and say, I'm commissioned, I'm ready to go. For me, I think about my own calling. When I was a sophomore in high school, I was playing drums because I'm a drummer. I've been drumming for about 17 years. I was drumming at a, at a youth conference. It's called a youth conference. And during one of the main sessions, I wasn't playing and I was standing in, in the audience worshiping and a, and a prayer team member came up to me and she put her hand on me. She was an elderly lady and she put her hand on me and as soon as she touched me, she started shaking. She looked at me with very, very intense eyes and she said, the Lord has an amazing calling on your life to the point where I can't pray for you and I need the Holy Spirit too. And then she walked away. And it was a weird thing for me because I'm, I'm only a sophomore in high school. I don't really understand what was going on. I, I didn't really know who the Holy Spirit was at that point. It didn't really make any sense to me. But fast forward a few years to where I was a sophomore in college over here at William Jessup University. And I prayed one of the most dangerous prayers you could ever pray in your life. God, I want to do what you want me to do. I don't want to do what I want to do anymore. I want to do what you want me to do. Because every time I try my own thing, every time I try my own path, I always fall. So I'm tired of it. God, I'm ready. Show me what you want me to do. Within the next two weeks, I had five people, some of which who were strangers, come up to me and say, Cliff, you're going in the youth ministry. I had friends pray over me saying that they saw me in a room filled with young people speaking. I had, I had a couple other people tell me, Cliff, you need to go in the youth ministry because you will be there no matter what. So I said, Lord, thank you for that answered prayer, the quickest I ever expected. I declared youth ministry the next week and I graduated with that degree at Jessup. But that's not even the best part. Last year, a little over a year ago, it's our second weekend in this building. I'm playing drums with Jake and the team. And we're playing the song Praises. And I remember it just like it was yesterday. And I love playing the drums because it's one of the times for me and the Lord to just be together. And it's one of my favorite things in all the world. And I remember God spoke to me more vividly than He ever has in my entire life. And it wasn't an audible voice. It, the Holy Spirit was speaking to my spirit and he said this. Through this stage, I will start your ministry. Through this stage, I will start your ministry. And in that moment, I, I was leading you guys in worship and I was like, whoa. Uh, I almost stopped playing drums because it was so intense and it scared me. And I was like, what does that mean? At that time, I was just an intern, right? Didn't make any sense to me that I would become a pastor they didn't even have a role for me at that time god knew at that moment i didn't that a year from then i would be standing on the stage preaching before you all and being the high school pastor here yeah and that's because god called me he called me 
So let me ask you this question. What is God saying to you? What is he saying to you? Is it something that you need to recall over 12 years ago? Maybe it's something he said to you last year. Maybe it's something he said to you last week. What is it that he is speaking to you? Because when we recall our commission, we will win this war successfully. It's important for us to recall our commission. Let's move on. Second half of verse 18 says this. That by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. So again, why is it important for us to recall a commission? Because when you're sure of what you're doing, nothing's going to stop you. Just like when your child yells mom or yells dad in a playground, nothing's going to stop you from getting there. Why? Because you know for a fact you are their parents and nothing's going to stop you from protecting them from doing the will that God has appointed you to because that's the most important thing. And when we know who we are, when we know what we're doing, nothing is going to stop us and we can wage the good warfare. But what is this good warfare? You know, there's so many things that, that people may say what this good warfare is. And I can go into it for a while. But it comes down to this. If you're taking notes, make sure you write this down. The good warfare is the, is the defense of the central doctrine of the Christian faith. And again, to win this war, as Paul says, we need to recall our commission. Because we all know we, we are, are against three specific enemies. One, the world. Two, the flesh. And three, the devil. And every day we're being attacked and every day we're being confused and distracted. And that's why Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 encourages us and, t and tells us to put on the armor of God. Right? Breastplate of righteousness. Helmet of salvation. Sword of the Spirit. Shield of faith. Sh shoes of good news. He tells us to put all of these things on. Why? To fight the good fight. To fight the good warfare. So that we may be winners. But what's interesting is if we look back on 1 Timothy we see that Paul asks us to put two more things on. And that is holding faith and a good conscience. And what's interesting is faith and conscience in this letter appears three different times together. Now, I don't know if you noticed, but 1 Timothy is a very short letter. So the fact that Paul put something together three different times, that's really important. For me, I love studying Paul because... It's just, you never know what's going to happen. You never know what you're going to fall into. Because Paul could be talking about something, and then squirrel, he's talking about something else. <laughs> he does that all the time. And there's been moments when I'm studying him, even when I'm speaking in HSM, I haven't done the prep I needed, and I get to a point and I say, guys, I really don't know what's happening. He's probably just saying, I love you. Let's move on. So it's important for us to understand why he says, why it's so 
important to hold faith in a good conscience. But let's talk about holding faith first. The best way that I think to describe what holding faith is, is put it in Jesus' words. Open up your Bibles, put your finger in 1 Timothy, open up your Bibles to John chapter 15. We're going to read a few verses there. And as you flip there, this passage we're about to read is something that I had to memorize when I was in elementary school. And I remember the entire time I'm memorizing it, I'm like, what? What does this mean? This doesn't make any sense to me. But sure enough, I still memorized it. and I was all proud of myself. And I went up to my teacher and I was like, I recited it. And I was so proud. And then she stumped me. She said, okay, great, Cliff. Now, what does it mean? And I was like, I just started reciting it again. I was like, oh, that mean, that's what it means. I feel like it's obvious, right? John chapter 15, verse 4. Let's start there. Abide in me, talking about himself, Jesus. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. You see, the faith that Paul is talking about in 1 Timothy is referring to holding fast to, to the revealed truth of your calling. He's saying, abide in your calling, and not only that, abide in Jesus. Because we are all branches, and we all want to bear fruit. But I will tell you this today, it's impossible to bear fruit if you're not connected to the vine. And if Jesus is the true vine, that means that we need to hold fast to His teaching. We need to hold fast to Him and never let Him go. He wants us to be right there with Him. And I, I want to encourage you something real fast. I think a lot of us, we don't want to hold on to Jesus. We don't want to abide in Him because we don't trust Him. Because if you look at this passage, Jesus actually puts a lot of pressure on Himself. If He's saying that we need to abide in Him or nothing, then that means that He needs to abide in us. He needs to hold on to us. And I guarantee you that God is, has never messed that up. He has never let go of you. If you're here this morning and you're, you're thinking, oh, I don't know. I don't know if, if God has left me. He has not. He is right by your side right now and He has never let you because He is abiding in you. And He's just asking you today to abide in Him, to hold fast to the faith. And as Pastor Brian was talking about a couple, couple weeks ago, this faith Paul's talking about equals trust. Trusting in God that He knows your calling. And also trusting in yourself that you're capable of fulfilling the calling that God has on you. And I want to be very clear for a second. I want to be very clear. Each and every person in here has the same calling. 
And that is to know Christ and to love Him. It's to know Him and to love Him. The Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians says that nothing can transcend the importance of knowing Christ. Nothing can. Everything else is garbage. Everything else is nothing compared to knowing Christ. So us as Christians, our number one thing is to know Him and to love Him. But what the calling that Paul is talking about here in 1 Timothy is our assignment. Is what do we do as our assignment? So first we learn that we need to hold fast to faith. Next, Paul says that we need to have a good conscience. And a good conscience is the organ of decision, right? It's a good, a good conscience is a rudder that steers the Christian life. And every time I talk about this word conscience, I have to bring up Pinocchio. I do. I love Disney. I'm a Disney nerd, right? And I love to bring up Pinocchio in this because little old Jiminy Cricket... He's riding his shoulder. And what is he saying? Pinocchio! Right? Make sure that you're doing the right thing. Make sure that you're following and not becoming a donkey or doing anything other, other things that are weird or going to this weird, like, playground thing with, like, weird evil. If you've ever been to, the, to Disneyland and you've been in the Pinocchio ride, it's really scary. It's a big part of my sermon right there. You see, some commentators say that a man with a good conscience will do the will of God in spite of who is watching or what people may say. A man with a good conscience is someone who is the same person when the door is open and when the door is closed. Same person when... There's a bunch of people around or when they're just with their family. When there's a bunch of people around or when they're just with their spouse. Someone with a good conscience is obedient to the calling that God has. And again, I would agree with Pastor Brian Kiley talked about two weeks ago that a good conscience equals obedience. But why is it so important Why is it so important that Paul is saying, Timothy, remember your commission. Remember and understand that you need to hold on to faith and a good conscience. Well, he lets us know why in the the next couple of verses. Saying these are the consequences if we don't do these things. Last part of verse 19 in 1 Timothy chapter 1 says this. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander. You see, they have rejected the charge. They have thrusted it away. They have refused it. They don't care about their conscience. They don't care about holding on to faith. They don't care about their calling. They want to do whatever they want to do. You see, in their time, in Paul and Timothy's time, there were a bunch of false teachers that had no devotion to maintaining a pure conscience. They had little interest in the lives of holiness. They didn't 
they didn't want to be set apart, which is pretty much what holiness means, to be set apart. They didn't want to be different. They didn't want to have that calling on their life. They wanted to do whatever they wanted to do. They wanted to follow down their own line. They wanted to make their own path. And as I was reading this, I thought to myself, if Paul put this in the letter, then that means that Timothy was in danger of this. Let me ask you this question. Are you? Are you in danger of this idea that you don't want to have a good conscience. You want to hold on to faith. You don't know what your commission is and you don't necessarily care. Where are you at? Because those types of people, they, you see, they fall into the boneyard. And what the boneyard is, it's, it's a pit where everybody wastes away because their meaning, their calling in life was not met. They have taken the false teachings and they've sinned against their conscience. And they realize that it, the Christian life is way too tough. It's way too hard. They didn't want to work for it. And what's interesting is all throughout church history, if we read in the Bible, there's been so many parts of it where God's people were put into a circumstance where they could have failed. And most of them did. I think of the Israelites. Man, the Israelites, man, they messed up a lot. <laughs> they did. But God still loved them. And they still had a calling on their life. Look at a man like Elijah. He was up against hundreds, hundreds of prophets of Baal. But what did he say? I trust my God to win. I trust my God because he knows what's best and he will demolish anyone who's against him. But what's up with these, these bad guys, Hymenaeus and Alexander? When I first read these words, their names, I was like, these are weird names. Hymenaeus, at first I didn't know how to pronounce it. So I went into Pastor Lance's office and I said, how do you pronounce this? And he said, Hymenaeus. I said, thank you very much. Have a nice day. They're weird names, but that's beside the point. Both of these guys were false teachers. In fact, Hymenaeus damaged the faith of many other believers because he declared, he claimed that the resurrection had already happened before Jesus. And Alexander was in the same way. He was teaching false doctrine and he, and he was teaching others their own ways. You see, they would go in Ephesus and they would be like, guys, listen to me. What I'm saying is way important than Paul, way more important than Timothy, and I'm actually right. But in reality, they were speaking on their own accord. They just wanted to have the fame. And I think in, in churches all over this country, we need to make sure that we are teaching healthy doctrine. We don't want to fall into the boneyard. We don't want to be like Hymenaeus, like Alexander, because I think a lot of times we teach bad doctrine because we accommodate our sin. And what I mean by that is this, is that when we sin, we're like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. Oh, it's just a little white lie. At least it's not like I'm murdering someone or committing adultery. 
oh, I left a few minutes late. I left like 30 minutes late to work today, but I said I, I stayed there the whole time. That's not that big a deal. I worked hard. It was a long day. And we start having these ideas of, oh, that's okay. And we start justifying our, our sins, but we need to be careful that our bad behavior doesn't lead to false doctrine. Because just like Hymenaeus, just like Alexander, they sinned and they accommodated their sin and they justified it and they said, it's okay, it's okay, let's just keep doing what we're doing. Because what ends up happening is we get to a point where we're comfortable. We're not listening to our conscience and we're comfortable. And we start telling others, that's okay, I feel fine about that. How do you feel about that? Oh, fine, then we're good. As long as you feel good, that's all that matters. Whoa. That's some dangerous territory that we may be getting into. We need to make sure that we have healthy doctrine. But what does Paul say at the end of this passage? Last part of verse 20. It says this. Whom I've handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. You see, according to synagogue practice... If a man was an evildoer, he was first publicly rebuked. He was put in front of his friends, his family, and saying, Dude, stop what you're doing. It's wrong. You're teaching false doctrine. Change your ways. But here's the thing. If he didn't, if he didn't get that idea, if he kept going along his same path, then he was banished from the synagogue for a period of 30 days. Nobody could talk to him. He couldn't go in the synagogue. He couldn't worship in the synagogue. But if he still didn't get it, this idea, then he was put under a ban. Continuously. He couldn't talk to anybody. He couldn't go in a synagogue. He was pretty much thrown out of the church. So a lot of people may say, that's another way of handing someone over to Satan. See, when Paul says he handed them over to Satan, he just said, they're outside of the church. Not only that, is they are outside of the protection of the church. You see, when we're followers of Jesus, when we're, when we're really pursuing Him and loving Him and doing all these things that Paul says here in this passage, we're protected because we're in the church. But as soon as we continue to follow down this line of, of false doctrine and we get out of the church, now we're in Satan's territory. What's interesting is we actually see some good things coming out of being handed in Satan's territory. I think of the story of Job. Right? Job had a lot of horrible things happen to him. But he still held on to the faith. He trusted God. And God did amazing things in his life. Even Jesus, he was thrown into the wilderness. And Satan tempted him. But still he chose to not. He chose to stick to, to the healthy doctrine. And I bring up those examples because of this. There is hope for Hymenaeus and Alexander. And if you're here today, if you're thinking to yourself, man, I, I feel like I'm, I'm going into false doctrine. I feel like I don't care about my conscience, the faith, my calling, any of those different things. And you're nervous about it. Well, I'll tell you what, there is hope for you. Because in reality, when Paul threw out Hymenaeus and Alexander, he didn't throw them out, close the door, and go like this and walk away. 
He threw them out of the church, kept the church doors open, put out his arms like this, and he said, please come back. This word learn, may learn not to blaspheme. It's actually a positive word meaning to instruct, train, and correct. You see, he, he knew that they were going to learn once they were outside. Learn that blaspheme was not an okay thing. And if you remember from what Pastor Lance was talking about last week, modern day blasphemy is to speak disrespectful about God, denying Him because, you're, because you are selfish, because you don't care. And Paul was like, stop doing that. I'm going to throw you out there. I'm going to have you learn. And I want you to come back. You see, there's hope for them because the purpose of such discipline is for restoration, not condemnation. You see, Paul never meant to simply hurt these guys, but to cure them. He wanted them to learn. So there's hope. There's so much hope. You see, Paul was trying to correct evil man by means of the evil one. But there was hope for that. There was so much hope for that. So why is it so important? Why is it so important for us to do all these things like Paul is saying? Because we need to fight the good fight. We do. As I was praying and prepping for, for this message, I asked the Lord, I said, how the heck are we supposed to know our assignment so we can go and fight that good fight, so we can not go into the boneyard and understand what true doctrine is? And he answered me very simply. And a lot of times God does this to me. I ask him a question and he's like, yes, or maybe, or very quick answers. He said this, if you want to know what your assignment is, ask me. Just talk to me. I thought to myself, I'm like, oh, man, that's really simple, isn't it? But at the same time, it's so hard. Because I think this idea of prayer in our society today is boring. We don't want to pray. It's boring. We're talking to someone who maybe necessarily we don't think they talk back to us. It's not like talking to a human being. It's weird. But actually, if you look all throughout the book of Psalms, we see David teaching us how to pray, teaching us how to talk to God. There's, there's Psalms that David writes where he's saying, oh Lord, I love you. Thank you so much for your power and for your love for me. And then there's other Psalms where he says, Lord, why? Why did you do this to me? God, why? He shows us that we can come before the Father and say and ask him questions. I love, I love the character of Daniel in the Bible. Because this is a man who, he got up every day, and three times a day he was praying. He was praying. And even to the threat of his life, he was praying because he knew the power of prayer. And because of that man's faithfulness, the Lord delivered them out of the Babylonians into their country where they were supposed to be. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus himself tells us how we should pray. He says, But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. 
And I love that because he's asking us to go into a room, shut the door and pray. Because he says later on in the passage, don't be like the Pharisees who go into the public places and are like, Dear Heavenly Father, look at me, everyone. No, he says, come before me. Put your face on the ground and say, God, I need your help. God, what is my assignment? What is my calling? Help me to have a better conscience. Help me to understand what holding faith is. Lord, I want to abide in you constantly because I know without you I will fall to the ground and wither. Later on in that passage, Jesus says, don't be anxious. (laughs) That's really hard. Don't be anxious. In our world today, anxiety has taken over. We're anxious about everything. Can't tell you how many high school students that I encounter, and they're just anxious about so many different things. They just can't help it. So he says plainly, don't be anxious, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And I would add to that to say, also seek your calling first. Love Him first. And all these will be added to you. Something I always tell the high schoolers, it's like my mantra. Almost every time I I speak, well maybe not every time because they would get bored of that. I say this, I say, get up every morning and dedicate your day to Him. Get up every morning and say, Lord, let this be your day. Let me see this world through your eyes. Let me love others how you love them. And I'll tell you what, there's something about dedicating your day to Him every morning that shifts your entire day. Your brain is, your mind is thinking differently. You go to work and you see your coworkers differently. You're like, why do I see them differently? It's because the God that loves them is showing you how they look. It's important for us to declare that and to pray and to talk to our God. Romans 8, verse 15. Such an amazing verse. says this, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And the reason why I remind us of that verse is because no matter where you're at, if you're in the boneyard or if you're, you're doing great right now, you can come before the Father and say, Abba, Father, I need you. No matter what. I think a lot of us, again, we're scared of coming before Him because we've done so many things wrong. But He's just saying, come hang out with me. Come spend time with me. Come call me, Abba Father. I just want to see your face. I want to say hello to you. And I want to show you what I want to do through you. All we have to do is go, what's up? When you're driving in your car, what's up? When you're walking to your lunch on your lunch break, what's up? Talking to him, asking him questions. And that leads us to one of the most important parts of our prayer life, and that's intercession. 
As soon as we get to a point where we're like, okay, I understand God, I understand my calling and all those things, but now I want to start praying for others. And that's when things change, everybody. That's when things change. I guarantee you, I urge you that if we want revival in our nation today, then we need to start with prayer. We need to start with waking up every morning declaring to God, this is for you and that's it. It's for you. And the reason why I, br- I bring prayer up is because of all these things that Paul's talking about, nothing, none of them would happen without prayer. But going back to Timothy, his job in Ephesus was not to go around and do a bunch of different tasks so that the city was doing well. In fact, his jo- job was to take care of the church, to win the lost, to teach the save, saved. And also to defend the faith. That was his job. I think a lot of times in, in churches all over this nation, we have pastors, we have leaders who have so many different extracurricular activities that they don't actually have time for the calling that the Lord has for them. So we have people all over this world who aren't being led because we have leaders doing something else. And I think in our society today, as soon as we say we're busy, we get a badge of honor. <laughs> I'm busy. When somebody asks you, how are you doing? I guarantee you most of your answers are, I'm busy. And they're like, good for you. I get that all the time. How are you doing, Cliff? Well, I'm busy. They're like, oh, good for you. I always, I always ask them back. I'm like, is it good for me though? Because I'll tell you, being busy is not something that should be have a badge of honor. Knowing your calling and going down the path that God has for you, now that's a badge of honor. It is. If you actually take time not only to, to be busy, but actually to rest, so that when you go down the line that God calls you down, you can do it with, to the best of your ability. Now that's a badge of honor. Again, what is God speaking to you right now? As I was prepping for this sermon, the Lord said, make sure they're asking these questions because they're important to ask. They're so important for us to ask. Can I have the prayer team come on up here? Talk about this idea of prayer because it's important. And the prayer team is a, a very specific and awesome group of people that are here for you. If you're here today and, and you're thinking, oh, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, come talk to the Lord about it. He wants to tell you. Again, if you didn't hear anything that I said this morning, hear me now. God loves you. He has an amazing plan on your life. Hold on to Him. Hold on to Him. Abide. He is here for you and He's ready. And the reason why I'm so passionate is because I'm in the place that I'm supposed to be. People always ask me, Cliff, why are you so passionate? I say, because I love Jesus and He blessed me for being here. And I get to preach the gospel every single day of my life, which is amazing. I get to spend time with high schoolers. I get to be weird for a job. How amazing is that? They're like, why are you so passionate about when you speak? Because the word of God is the most passionate I will ever get because it's perfect. 
And it always gives me strength. And when I was called, and when I was new, I was called. When I was up here, right here on this stage, when the Lord spoke to me, I started, fire started in my spirit, being like, let's go. I'm ready. And that's my prayer for you this morning. Let's pray. Dearly Father, we, we are so in love with you. We adore you so much. And God, I pray that everything that was of me this morning that wasn't of you, I pray that it falls to the ground. And God, I pray that you even speak to us and help us to understand what it means to fight the good fight for us. What is our assignment so that we can go out and do it to the best of our ability. Like there's somebody in here this morning who just needs to take a step. Whatever that means to you, I don't know what it is, but you do. Take that step. If you're like, I don't know if I should go down this road, this job, do it. If you're worried about what others may think of you, it doesn't matter. God loves you and He's proud of you. That's what matters. There's others in here who I think the Lord wants, wants me to tell you He wants more of your time. You're doing too many things. Dedicate some of your time to Him. Oh man, your, your life's going to be a whole lot different when you start spending time with Jesus every day. God, I, I thank you um, for this morning. God, I thank you for speaking to Paul, who spoke to Timothy, who spoke to us. God, we, we just are so happy <laughs> that we get to say that we're sons and daughters of you. So God, as we, we go out of this place and go back into our workplaces, God, help us to show people what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus and show people what Jesus looked like through us. We love you, Father. In your name. We pray. Amen.